Welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. It's an honor. We love uh, being here. We pray for you guys and think about you often from the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Um, and keep up with what's going on. We're excited about your building campaign um, and everything that's going on. And so, um, uh, actually, I just want to say something. It's just like a side note about that. I was in Israel one time, and we went to this place called Tel Dan. And Tel just means a hill or a mountain, and Dan is the city that's at the top of it. And uh, in the reign of Jeroboam and then Rehoboam, they, uh, they made a decision. All the Israelites used to have to travel all the way back to Jerusalem once a year to worship at the synagogue. And they made a decision to make almost like a like a satellite there, uh, a, a, a temple there, but it was one that God did not ordain and and ask them to do. And the reason that they did it was for convenience, so that they didn't have to travel all the way back to Jerusalem. And the tour guide that was showing us around said, "This is what we call the beginning of the stages of idolatry." And so I was thinking about I'm in this place and I'm looking around at the way that y'all have transformed this place, that there's people that have been here since 5 a.m. And I know you're approaching moving into a new building, but what I ask of you is keep that mentality of, of, of pressing in, of volunteering, of giving of yourself, of not worshiping the God of convenience. Because what happened to the ones who did that in Tel Dan is that they began to, because it turned to being all about them, they began to worship different gods. And so if they, they were struggling with fertility, they would worship the God of fertility. And it began because they said, I want everything to be convenient. So as you're moving into a new building, keep the spirit that is very much alive here of volunteering, of giving of yourself, of, 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 of pressing in and being a part of this house. And, and so, um, and that spirit, that attitude will carry over to all those that then join you once you have your building. And so we're just excited to be here. I brought along my wife. Uh, we've been married for 17 years. Hannah, she's here with me. Um, and uh, our kids are home. We're, we're like in that stage, our son is 14 and my daughter's 11. And so uh, my son is fully a teenager right now and we're trying to figure that out, um, you know, how to deal with that. It's, it's, for those of you that have teenagers, you know that it just gets so complicated. Uh, um, yet the other day, uh, I, he, my daughter, I've got this uh, golden retriever that if you're not petting her 24 hours a day, she just paws at you and she's, you know, pushing her head against you or whatever. And Willow was done with it. My daughter, she was like, stop, stop, stop. But it was getting on my son's nerves. And so he said, Willow, if you say stop one more time, I'm going to bury you in the backyard. And I laughed out loud because <laughs> it was funny to me. And then I was like, but wait, don't talk to your sister that way. And he was like, you laughed, so it's okay. And I was like, it's a valid point. If it's funny in my house, it's approved. It just it just gets all the way through. It's approved. So uh, so anyways, we're glad to be here. I love Ethan and Elaine. Elaine is the best sister you could ever ask for. Ethan the same as being the best brother-in-law. We really, really love them. They they have been amazing to us through our journey of, of planting and different things like that that we've been through. So I titled the message today, The Cure. We're going to talk about the, the curse that is put on us through the fall of man and then what the cure is for that. And the entire message today is going to be about snakes. 
Um, and I know it's a good Christmas message for everyone. <laughs> um, I, you think I'm joking. The entire message is going to be about snakes. Um, the whole thing. When you're driving home, you're going to be like, I thought that dude was kidding. No, he talked about snakes the whole time. I promise you, I'm about to talk to you about snakes for the entire message, okay? So um, is there anybody here that just doesn't like snakes? You're not friendly with snakes. They're not like your favorite thing in the world, you know? It's pretty much everybody, right? Like very few of us like really like, enjoy being around snakes. And Hannah is the same way. She is terrified of snakes. And uh, she also has very vivid dreams. And so one night she woke up and she was like, look out. And I'm like, I'm jumping up out of sleep, like, what's happening? And I'm running around like, what's going on? You know, I think like there's a murderer in the room or whatever. And she was like, there's a snake and it's on the ceiling. And I was like, is it a magical snake? Where, what kind of thing are you on right now? Do you take some new medicine? She's like, it's right there. You know, she was still completely asleep, just talking in her sleep. And that happens um, more often than I would like to admit, actually. And uh, so, but she's terrified of snakes. And my son, he like really wants a pet snake. And she was like, I'll never sleep again. There's no way. Like I will constantly be afraid that it's like showing up in my bed to say hi or whatever. Like she's just, she's not going to have it, you know. And so um, I read one time though, that if you're afraid of something, you should, uh, you should be around it more often. You should expose yourself to it more often so you can conquer your fear. So not only are we going to talk about snakes throughout the message, I'm going to share some personal stories. I'm, I'm someone who likes to be outdoors. I'm outdoors all the time. Some personal snake stories, they're not going to help you in the message. They're not going to be spiritual messages at all. It's just going to expose you to snakes so that as we go along, you'll be more prepared for what we're going to talk about today. The first snake story I'd like to tell you is <laughs> that uh, me and my brother, when we were kids, we would help my, my grandfather work on his land in East Texas, and he was building a pond one day. And so we were out there helping him, and we we're hanging out, you know, and uh, we, we called my grandfather Papa. And so my, my brother goes, uh, Papa? And he goes, I'm working. Hold on just a second. And so a minute goes by, and he goes, Papa? And my, my, my grandfather says, I'm working. Hold on just a second, you know. And I'm doing something over there. I'm not paying any attention to my brother. And he goes, Papa, I really need to talk to you. And out of frustration, he finally turns around. And he goes, what? What do you need? And he goes, well, there's a snake on my shoe. And we looked down, and a snake was just laying right across the top of his shoe, and he was terrified. He wouldn't move. He was, like, just frozen in time, you know. And so my grandfather just went away and, like, shooed it away. He was like, that's not a poisonous snake. You're fine. And so uh, if there was a message to that, there's not. But, you know, um, if there was, it, it was, watch out. Snakes will sneak up on you, okay? You don't know what's going on. If your friend is calling out for help, you should might maybe look over because there could be a snake on his boot, you know. And so the the... The, uh, the, the stories today are just going to try to get you just eased into this because I am not kidding. We're talking about snakes for the rest of the message. So uh, we're going to talk primarily about the story of Moses. We're going to go, though, back to the beginning of time, and then we're going to talk all the way up to the cross. And, uh, and all of it's going to have to do with snakes. And so as we talk about the story of Moses, I want you to, 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 to think about something for a minute. Ancient scholars, the way that they, they like to read the Bible in two different ways. And there's many ways to read the Bible, and the Bible is made up of many different things. Some of them are stories, some of them are metaphors, some of them are uh, historical accounts. All of these things, the Bible is made up of poetry and, and all of these things. So there's many different things. And, but when you go into reading scripture, you have two approaches that you can take. Both of them are valid and both of them should be done. The first one is to look at the historia 
of the, of the reading or the telling that you're listening to. So the story of Moses is a historical telling through archaeological digs and uh, different writings and informations. We know that there was a, a man named Moses. We know that, uh, that, that these stories are, are historical because they're found in Scripture. So there's the, the element of historia. And too often, whenever we read through the Bible, we re read through it with the element of historia in our mind. We just read the historical account and it causes us to pass over so many things that the Bible's actually trying to teach us. So another method of reading scripture is through theoria. And it doesn't mean reading the theory of scripture. What it means is finding the message that can only be found through deep prayer and meditation. The theoria of something is to discover that there is a true telling of a historical account, and then there's a deeper meaning here that we ought to be able to see. Uh, similar to a prophetic word, uh, when the events would take place, they might, not they might not be very clear in that moment, but with the passage of time, they become more clear. If someone gives you a prophetic word and it is of God, it may not always be clear or make sense to you in the moment. You go five, ten years down the road, you look back and you go, I understand now what that word was. I understand what God was speaking to me through that. In the reading of the story of Moses, if we keep in mind the future events that took place and then we go back and reread the story of Moses, we will see that there were prophetic tellings, theoria, that was happening all throughout the story. So that's what we're going to focus on today. We're going to talk about the story of Moses going all the way back to uh, uh, the, the beginning of time and, and first talking about the serpent or the snake that appeared to uh, Adam and Eve. So the first point is the snake, okay? Uh, the snake is the, the, the thing that we're going to talk about here, and, uh, and, and we'll go all the way back to the story of Adam and Eve. And just for your health, I'll just tell you one more snake story. Just It doesn't have anything to do with the, the message. It's for your help, okay? Um, so uh, when I was a kid, we would, uh, there was this pile of firewood, and it used to probably be level, but people had taken firewood from one end of it, so it like kind of stair-stepped up. So we said, if run and jump and land on the lower part, and then if you can do that, then you get to move up to the next level, to the next level, we'll see who can make it all the way to the top. It's like doing box jumps, but landing on a pile of firewood. So we did the first level, the second level. We get to the top level, and my cousin's like, I got this. I can do this. He runs, and he jumps, and he lands. He does it. He sticks it. He lands right on the very top level of the firewood. And then after that, he went hovering in the air. It was like he just was lifted by a rope or something. He just shot up in the air and he was so stunned that he stayed still and he landed flat on his stomach on the ground and he was losing his mind. He ran away from the firewood pile and we're like, what is going on? And all he could utter was snake, snake. And so he went over there and when he landed on the top, one of the, one of the logs of the firewood had moved over and there was a snake coiled right between his legs right there. Uh, and so um, uh, I guess I tell you that, I mean, not that in Houston you need firewood often, but every time you go look for firewood, there could be a snake there. I just want you to be afraid every time you go look for firewood. <laughs> but uh, the, the, the idea of that, if there was a message in this, which there's definitely not, but the idea of that is you never know where the snake will be hiding. In the garden, the snake shows up right in the place where they least expect it. And so we're going to pick up there in that story where the image of the snake is found all the way through uh, the story of Moses. But if we go all the way back to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve committed the sin of independence. They chose to live on their own. So uh, we like to think of it as um, 
God had these arbitrary set of rules. And so he tells them, hey, you can do whatever you want. You can eat anywhere in the garden, but don't eat of this tree. As if that was like the test, like don't eat of this tree. And because they did and they sinned, now they're expelled from the garden and we suffer the consequences for the rest of our lives. The story of Adam and Eve is actually much deeper and more complicated than that. Because whenever we think about the consequences of the fall, we think of the things that the Bible lists like uh, the, the pain and childbirth, toil with the land and all that stuff. But there's another consequence that the Bible lists that's a result of the fall that we think about like hardly ever. Maybe, maybe you've never even thought of it. The consequence of what Adam and Eve did is that we now have the knowledge of good and evil. And we weren't supposed to have that. Jesus didn't just create an arbitrary rule and said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because he wanted rules to be in place and he wanted to see if we could follow them. He did that because he knew that if we did that, that would mean that Adam and Eve unplugged from the tree of life and instead plugged into their own knowledge of good and evil. That's what he didn't want. Adam and Eve were supposed to live by the word of God, not by their own consciousness. They they were supposed to, uh, not by their own conscience, not by their own uh, idea of what is right and wrong. They were supposed to live by God leading them and guiding them. And instead they unplugged from the tree of life and they plugged into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what that produces is hypocritical Christians who try to govern morality within the church instead of introducing people to life, to Jesus. What that produces is us walking around going, is this right or wrong? We should figure out all of these things. And we were never intended to live that way. We were intended to hear the voice of God, to listen to what he said, to hear his voice and to obey, to walk out what he's called us to do. That was the way that we were intended to live. The story of Adam and Eve is not just the story of these historical characters in time that did this. It's the story of you and I, every single one of us. Because we were born naked into a world where everything was given to us. When you were a baby, a child, everything that you, you couldn't do anything on your own. Everything had to be given to you. Everything was given to you. And then as you grew and matured, you became into that phase that children get to where they go, I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. And you start taking the reins over of your life. The story of Adam and Eve is you and I's story, every single one of us. It is the story of we start off as a, as a baby needing everything to be given to us and we're completely dependent. And the sin of independence is to say, I'll do it and I'll figure it out myself. And even as Christians, we can sometimes live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because we're trying to do what is right and wrong and trying to decipher between those things. And remember, within the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there exists good and evil. So living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil might produce drunkenness, fornication, pride, lust, greed, all types of debauchery. It might include all of those things. But living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil might also produce good works showing up at your church, volunteering, reading your Bible, tithing to your church, attending church. It might include all of those things and still be housed within the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just because something is good doesn't mean that God has called you to do it. We are called to go back to living, plugged into the tree of life, listening and hearing to the voice of God. And the Bible helps us in that path, but we can't use it as the, the, the only uh, guidebook in our lives. We must be connected to the spirit. And so in this, in this then, we, we, we've got to 
go back to being plugged into the, 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 the tree of life. And so the Pharisees, if you'll remember, um, they knew the Bible really well. Uh, the Pharisees primarily focused on the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. And I don't know when the last time you read something like Leviticus is, but if you remember the first five books of the Bible, pretty long books, the Pharisees memorized the first five books of the Bible. They memorized it. Actually, it's been said that if you had the, the, the first five books of the Bible in book form and you took it and you put it up against a post and then you took a nail and you could choose anywhere you wanted to, anywhere along the book, and you placed that nail and then nailed it through that book and into the post, that a Pharisee could tell you every single scripture that the nail touches as it passes through the book just by looking at the location of the nail. That's how well they knew the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus, as you know, was very proud of that. Um, he was just, he thought it was like the greatest thing in the world. Um, he says, even in Matthew 23, right here, he says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Here's what he was saying to them. You eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You walk out your life going, I'm not going to do the wrong thing, but I am going to do the right thing. I'm not going to do the wrong thing, but I am going to do the right thing. And they held to the law and they memorized scripture and they attained more and more knowledge. And Jesus, he compared them to tombs because he said, you are not connected to life. You are not connected to the tree of life. And so uh, think then about the woman at the well when Jesus approached her and said, uh, can I have a drink? She responds with the rules. Your people are not supposed to associate with my people and I'm not supposed to do this and you're not supposed to do that. The rules is how she responds. And what does he say in return? If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask for living water. What he said over and over was that he came not to solve the problem of sin, but to give us life and life more abundantly. He was constantly pointing us to life, to life. And we keep going, rules? No, life. Rules? No, life. Rules? No, life. Life is what I'm trying to introduce you to. And he was constantly pointing us back to that. And we still miss the point sometimes. We still say, you want to be a Christian? Start doing the right thing. Stop living your life this way. And all of those things will take place when you actually plug into the tree of life. All of those things will take place. The, the, the evidence or the fruit of that will be, not that we'll be perfect, but that, we'll sin, that sin will start to be removed from our life. And that is the end result. But that is not the way we get there. The way we get there is by plugging into the tree of life. So when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which every one of us have done at one point in our lives, what happened was that we gained the knowledge of good without the ability to do it. And we gained the knowledge of evil without the strength to avoid it. And now that's the way we live our lives. Plugged into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I know what good is, but I struggle to do it so often. I know what evil is, but I struggle to avoid it so often. And we live in this life, and all Jesus wanted to, us to do was to unplug from that tree completely and go plug directly into the tree of life. 
That's what he offers us. That's what he gives to us. And so the serpent in the beginning, when Adam and Eve are bitten by the poison that courses through their veins, what that is, is the, 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 the sin of independence, of deciding to live for ourselves, to walk out these things for ourselves and to depend entirely on what we believe is right and wrong. And, and, and believe me, we do this all the time. We will read into scripture the things that we believe because we already believe those things. What Jesus has called us to do is to plug into him, to hear from the tree of life. And I've heard pastors say all the time that if sin is not the problem, then Jesus is not the answer. The problem with that is, especially as I've uh, done a lot of evangelism with people, is when you say, uh, you, you, you start with conviction, even though that's the Holy Spirit's job is to convict, our job is to love. And so when we start with conviction and we say, uh, you ought to be living this way, you shouldn't be doing this, you shouldn't be doing these things or those things or whatever, that's the way that we witness to people. That's the way that oftentimes that we tell people that they need God. And so pastors say sometimes, if, if sin is not the problem, then Jesus is not the answer. And as I thought about that, try convincing them that whatever they're doing is sinful. I hear that all the time. Well, if you might call it sin, and you might say that it's because it's found in the Bible, but the Bible doesn't mean anything to me. And so it's becoming harder and harder to convict the world of sin, which is not our job anyways. Instead, what I believe is the reality of this is that if death is not the problem, then Jesus is not the answer. Everyone knows that they will die. And everyone wonders if there was more to life than this. You see, what happened in the fall is, is, is that we gain the knowledge of good and evil, but the sentence of that is death. And something everyone can agree, up, uh, can agree upon is that death is the problem we all face in life. So if death is not the problem, then Jesus is not the answer. That is our focus. We must be plugged into the tree of life. So the second thing we're going to talk about is the actual bite, the bite of the snake. And just, just to help you out, because I know a lot of you are afraid of snakes. I'm going to tell you one more snake story. This is the last one, okay? Uh, I was fishing with my brother. We love to fish. And there was this one spot we couldn't get to, but we knew there was going to be fish there. We couldn't get to it because the cattails had grown to way over our head. And if, if, we, if we know anything about water moccasins, they love to get inside those cattails. And so we weren't, we weren't supposed to go in there. One day we're like, let's brave it. Let's do it. We're wearing, you know, boots up to our knees that are rubber. And so we're like, I think we can do it. I think we can pull it off. We're wading through these cattails and we're walking through. And all of a sudden I feel this immense pain on the top of my foot. And I pull the cattails apart and a water moccasin is attached to the top of my foot, has just bitten right on the top of my foot. So I screamed and I shook my foot and I ran out of there. And luckily it never made it through the boots, but I showed my brother and my grandfather, I had a bruise on the top of my foot. That's how hard it bit down on the top of my foot. And so uh, if there was a lesson, there's not. If there was a lesson, it would be don't, don't go into the territory where the enemy is. Don't do that. Don't find yourself in the weeds. Don't find yourself where you can't see where you're going. Don't find yourself struggling through the places where you know they're snaky because you will get bit, okay? So if, if there was a lesson, there's not. But if there was, that's what I would say for you, okay? So let's talk about the bite, all right? I'm going to go to Numbers chapter 21. I'm going to read a story. It's about the Israelites, and they are traveling along. Uh, and, and, and so I'm going to read this story to you, and, and you'll see what's going on. This is when they're in the wilderness. It starts in Numbers 21, verse 4. They traveled from Mount Hor along the road route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. 
But the people grew impatient on the way, and they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. Okay, so let me just summarize that story real quick. They, they've sinned, and so there's venomous snakes, uh, and they're biting them, and many people are dying. And so Moses prays and says, God, will you take away the snakes? But God doesn't take away the snakes. Instead, he says, make a bronze snake, put it on a pole, lift it up in the city, and if anyone even looks at it, then they'll be healed. So that's the mission that they have to do. Sounds pretty simple, but remember that this was a massive population of people. It was a huge city of people trying to move from one place to the next. And so you could be miles from the location where this pole was. So in reality, if you were bitten by a snake, you had a couple choices. It wasn't as simple as just, I'll just look up and, oh, look, I'm magically healed. Instead, you'd be bitten by a snake and you'd have to think, do I want to go to one of the doctors in the camp? Do I want to go to uh, someone that, that says they have a cure for this? Do I want to go to my family, say my last goodbyes to them? People are dying of being bitten by this snake. Do I want to spend my last few moments with my family? You had a choice on all those things. Or do I believe that what God said was true and I'll make the journey, no matter how far it is, over so that I can just look at a pole. And it seems simple that he would just look up and that they would be healed. And that image is still the same today. You see on many hospitals and ambulances, the snake wrapped around the pole. That is from this story. And so it symbolizes bringing healing to the people. That's what they were called to do. They had to believe. They had to make the trek over there so that they could be healed. All right, so that's what God did for the Israelites. Now jump to the New Testament. We're going to be in the book of John, and we'll see what it says about that. It connects back to Moses in the wilderness, but now is talking about Jesus on the cross. In John chapter 3, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life. So uh, the, the pole that was lifted up with the snake on it, the pole represents the cross. The Son of Man is Jesus. He will be put on the cross. And the implication here is that for what, whatever you've been bitten from, from the serpent, from the enemy, that if you look at the cross, you'll be healed. That's where your salvation will come from. That's what the implication is here. That just like the snake was put up on the pole, Jesus will now be put up on the cross. And if you have something that's ailing you, uh, you need salvation, you need a savior if you will look to the cross. But the story disturbed me because what it says is just like the snake is put up on the pole, well, the snake represents the serpent, evil. The snake was the curse. The snake was the bad thing. Why, how do we compare? How do we get, how are we okay with in the New Testament them comparing Jesus to the snake on the pole? The, it was 
this, we're talking about the bad thing was put on the pole in, in the time of the Israelites, not the good thing. Jesus, what, what is this? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. And I kept struggling with that over and over until I remembered this verse in Galatians chapter 3. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. The snake represented the curse. Sin has bitten you. The poison is coursing through your veins. The snake on the pole represents the curse. Jesus becoming the curse for us is now on the cross. And now if you want to be healed of the curse, you look to the cross because Jesus bore the curse for us. He took on the curse so that we could be healed. That's why the image of the snake applies to Jesus on the cross because he took the curse for us. He bore it for us. So that explains then why that image makes so much sense and why today, whatever it is that is ailing us, we must remember to look at the cross. So now let's figure out what the cure is. If we've been bitten by the snake, all of us have in our lives, all of us have followed the path of Adam and Eve. We've been bitten by the, the curse. We've been bitten by the, the poison of listening to ourselves and not being dependent on God. And so there's got to be a cure. There's got to be a, a cure for these things. And so I'm going to read a story. It's a, a little bit longer and it actually goes back in time. This is when the Israelites were still in Egypt. They were still in bondage, still in slavery, and Moses is going to set them free. God tells Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh and you're going to be like, God spoke to me and uh, you should let these people go. And Moses is like, yeah, he's probably not going to take that as an answer. Like he's probably not going to be like, yeah, that makes sense, you know. So Moses is asking him, what should I do? And this is the story of that. Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, what is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So he's taking his hand, he's putting it inside of his cloak. And Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. It was disease. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and then he took it out, and it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile, Pour it on the dry ground, and the water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. All right, so this is Jesus' instruction to him, which I would like to point out to you is the weirdest thing you've ever heard in your life. Um, again, if we read this through the element of Historia, we go, oh, yeah, Jesus wanted him to take his staff and throw it on the ground, and it would become a snake. Cool, I guess. Like, that's a great party trick. I wish I could do it. I wish I could be at a party and be like, guys, watch this. Stick, snake, back to stick, you know. It'd be awesome. Like, that would be the greatest thing ever. But that's what God told him. Like, Moses is like, hey, I'm going to go to them and be like the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the most powerful God ever that you've ever known, witnessed, or experienced, the most powerful God in the world, the one that created all of this, has come to me and told me that you should free his people. And he's going to go, show me a sign about how powerful your God is. And he's going to go, see the stick? Now it's a snake. 
what's, what's like, re, in reality, Pharaoh's going to be like, amazing. No, because remember, Pharaoh's like, I got people that can do that. Watch this. And like five people throw their sticks on the ground. They all become snakes. What is the purpose of this? What is the actual purpose of this? Stop for a moment and listen to the theoria of it, okay? Let's just take the hand, for example. Uh, he tells Moses to put his hand in his cloak. Okay, well, if you're a Christian, you're right-handed. That's obvious, okay? So he would take his right hand, all right? And he would take his right hand, he would put it into his cloak, and he pulled it out, and it was diseased, okay? And then he put his right hand back into his cloak, and he pulled it out, and then it was made whole again. Okay, over 25 times in Scripture, Jesus is called the right hand of God. It also says that Jesus comes from the bosom of God. So God says to Moses, take your right hand out of your bosom, and it will be diseased. This represents the actual humanity of Christ that he was able to be killed, that he was able to be come to earth and be crucified and to die for our sins. That is the sign, the upcoming sign that, Jesus, that God is telling Moses about. And then he says, and then when you put it back in, when Jesus goes into the grave for three days and he comes back out, he'll be made whole again. Jesus, the right hand of God, is going to die for our sins to redeem us, to take on the curse for us. And when he emerges, he'll be pure and healthy again. That's the sign that he's telling Moses about. That's why he tells him to do that. What about the rod with the snakes? And he throws it on the ground and it becomes a snake. You remember that Pharaoh was like, I got plenty of people. They do that. They took their rods. They threw it on the ground. Those became snakes too. But what did Moses' snake do at that point? It ate up every single one of those snakes. The representation, every time you hear, every, read the story of Moses. Every time you see the rod, every time. The rod represents the cross. The wooden rod represents the cross. When it strikes the rock, living water comes out of that. When the cross stripes, strikes Jesus, the rock, living water comes out of the rock. The rod represents the cross, okay? When the cross, when Jesus becomes the curse for us, when he turns into the curse, what does he do? He eats up all the evil of the world. And then through the cross is returned back to his original form. That's the sign. That's the indication of what is taking place. When, when God tells Moses, take your rod and it'll turn into a snake and it eats all the other snakes, it's an indication that Jesus is going to come to the earth, that through the cross he's going to take on and bear every sin, every evil thing, every wicked, every awful thing that has ever happened. He'll take it all on himself and he'll die. And when he returns, he'll come right back to his particular state before that. That's the sign that has taken place. That is the, the definition of what takes place when God tells Moses to do this. That's what we're to recognize. That's what we're to see as we read this scripture is that God took all of these things on himself. And so if we just look at the cross, if we just look and see at the one wonders, at the signs, at the amazing things that God has done, if we recognize these things, this is the image of Christ on the cross that he bore all of those things for us. And whatever is ailing you, whatever is sickening you, whatever poison is coursing through your veins, whatever the enemy has bitten you with, there is one solution. Go to the cross. See Jesus. I was in Israel on a different occasion, and uh, we were at the Sea of Galilee, and we were in the city of Capernaum, and I remember pulling out my iPad, 
and I just looked up the word Capernaum and just started reading all the things that Jesus had done uh, within the city of Capernaum. And the, the, the floor of the synagogue is still there. So I just, I remember walking over there and just touching the floor of the synagogue thinking, this is the same floor that Jesus walked on because he spent so much time in Capernaum and realizing that he had been there, right there. And I was on this journey to, to find God. I was on this journey to really experience him. And I wondered if maybe he was in a particular style of church, a particular denomination. Was, was he maybe in this style of church or that style of church? Could he be found in this spiritual practice or that spiritual practice? Where is God? Where can I find him? And so we're there at Capernaum and I'm just thinking like, I just kind of wish I was here 2000 years ago. I wish I could see you and experience you. I wish I could just have been here in that moment. And we were leaving and we were passing by an Eastern Orthodox church and um, I just wanted to go into a place of worship. And I, uh, I had connections um, in, in, in life. I had connected to pastors uh, uh, or bishops and, and, and leaders in the Eastern Orthodox Church and just had developed an affinity for, for what they were doing. And so I saw this Eastern Orthodox Church and it's sitting right on the Sea of Galilee. And so I asked, can we just stop and just let me go in there for just a minute? So we go inside and I kind of look around and you can see all the amazing paintings on the wall and all these things. And we just took a moment just to stop and pray. And I'll never forget, I just was praying in that moment and I said, God, where are you? I wanna find you, I wanna experience you, where are you? Are you here in this place? I felt the presence of God in there, but is this where you are? Where, where do I need to be to encounter your presence? And I'll never forget what God said back to me. He said, I'm everywhere all the time, start seeing me. And I realized that I was going through my life thinking about what's right, what's wrong, trying to do the right thing, hoping that would get me a little bit closer to God, trying to avoid the wrong things, hoping that would keep me from distancing myself from God. I was living a life that I thought was the Christian life. And instead what I really needed to do was look to the cross to see him, to see him, not just in the historical elements of the Bible, but to see him in everything, to realize that the birds are singing his praises, that all of nature is pointing to his glory, that everything around me is telling me that there is a creator, that he loves me, that he cares for me, and that he came to this earth, diseased and died so that I could have life and be with him for eternity. That's what he did for us. If we just stop for a moment and see him. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me, if you will. In Acts chapter 17, it says that we were destined to blindly grope in the night looking for God, even though he's not that far away from us. If your relationship with God is suffering today, it is time to start seeing him. It's time to make the trek, no matter what it takes, to get to the other side of town, to look to the cross and to see him. In just a moment, we're gonna have a time of prayer. There's gonna be a prayer team up here at the front. And I beg you, don't let anything stop you from praying with someone in agreement because whatever area it is of your life, 
where you need to see God come through if you will agree with someone in prayer. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered in prayer, he is in their midst. Don't miss this opportunity to stop and to pray with someone. And so in just a moment, we're gonna sing one more song. The prayer team will be here in the front. Don't let anything stop you. If you need to see God come through in an area of your finances, a relationship, your marriage, your health, something with work, whatever it is, don't let anything stop you from meeting with God today. Be like the Israelites who said, I'll do whatever it takes to travel from my chair all the way to the front so that I can look at the cross and see God today. And so Lord, we ask, we pray that you would draw every single person who needs prayer. Lord, that you would draw us closer to you today and that we would see you, not just in the historical elements of scripture, God, but in every sign, every image that is put before us, God, we pray that we would see your face and your glory today. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.